Now, as Tom said, I came out of the private sector. I'm, uh, I'm blessed that I still sit on the board of a public company. We were private. We sold to a leverage group. We went, we delevered. We went public. We went NASDAQ listed. We then delisted to save $2 million a year in, uh, in fees. So now we're on the pink sheets. If, if it wasn't fact I was on the board, I could tell you what was coming next. I've lived the last 10 years of regulatory reform, including Sarbanes-Oxley. I don't think there's any question of anyone who's involved with a public company, we didn't get it right. We did not create the atmosphere in which the Bernie Madoffs don't exist, or the WorldComs, or the uh, Enrons are never going to happen. Well, at the same time, we made it more burdensome, more expensive to be a public company. Now, if, and Joanne says here, now at Tyco Electronics, I don't know that separate unit's uh, sales, but I know one thing, it's pretty good size. The fact is that if you're Tyco or you're General Motors, the regulatory burden is, is something you complain about, but it's a rounding error on your balance sheet. If you're a little company like mine was, uh, well, like mine is, about 240 million, and you've got two or three million of your EBIT being eaten up by regulatory compliance, well, you'd better have an unusually high EBIT, or you're going to notice it, and you're going to notice it big. Because even if you're very profitable, it still could be 10% of what would otherwise be profit to the stockholders. It should not cost 5 or 10% of your profit to be public so that, in fact, you can have people who would benefit from the profit you have. We're driving companies, first, to be private, and second, to be public elsewhere. That's a bad decision. Now, I'm not on ways and means. Uh, for some reason, when I came in, I didn't listen to Jerry Weller and other, other good advisors and go to ways and means. Uh, perhaps it was because Bill Thomas was from my home state. <laughs> it's clear you all know Bill. <laughs> I also didn't go to appropriations, even though my, predator, my president predecessor was an, a cardinal in appropriations. And one of the reasons is they assumed that anybody could take your money and anybody could spend your money. I went to foreign affairs because not anyone can, you know, deal as we've dealt in the last 10 years and successfully in bringing peace and prosperity to the entire world. <laughs> Which tells you why I went to the committee I'm now on is I'm, I'm looking for a second chance. Along with that second chance, I think it's important that all of us look and say, America at the end of World War II got the chance of a millennium. We were standing, the rest of the world was flat on their back. We had not only up and running factories, but we had all the capital in the world, so much capital that we were looking for places around the world uh, to invest. That advantage is gone. We now send people overseas asking for investment in the U.S. Come invest in our first world country with third world tax policies. And some do. Thank you. Unfortunately, more often than not, essentially they're simply recycling their profits back to us in the form of a loan. Well, American companies, the most successful companies, our tax policy encourages them, if they make their money overseas, to leave it overseas. And if you leave it overseas, what do you do? You either use a, a clever tax uh, loophole and you reinvest it back to yourself in the form of a loan, which you can only do so much for so long, or you start buying overseas assets, plant, equipment, companies. 
we're asking our most productive companies, those are by definition, in most cases, companies that are doing so well they can not only sell here, but they can sell anywhere. We're asking them to invest their money outside the U.S. if we continue to have a tax policy that doesn't, on an ongoing basis, encourage repatriation. Now, again, I'm not on ways and means, but as, as, a, as a young person, I was very intrigued with the fact that the Beatles, part of their decision to, to tour was that Britain doesn't charge a penny in income tax as long as you make it overseas and repatriate it. Now, what is it that the British know about lower taxes on overseas income the rest of us don't? Well, it's very clear over the centuries they got it. They got it that there's very little money to be made on that little island unless they look beyond their island. And if they can bring home the spice, you know, benefits and the potatoes and the tobacco and anything else they can make from their investments overseas, it's not just Columbus, it's whole America they look at as investment then, in fact, it's good for Britain. We have to adopt that. What I will do over and above as I stretch the committee jurisdiction and we look at impediments, we'll look at impediments even if they're not regulatory, even if, in fact, they're tax policy. Now, ways and means will have to make the changes, but I think everyone in this room who serves or is involved with an international company knows that if it was comparatively de minimis, particularly if it was a fee, not a tax, meaning the state didn't get to pile on to whatever the federal government did. And in some cases, as a Californian, if we make a 5% federal repatriation, but there's a 10.55% state repatriation, it may not work so well for Intel. That kind of change, if it occurs, allows us to invest ourselves, which at a time when the world is beginning to doubt whether America is the right place to invest, we at least have to have companies who see opportunities invest here. So when I look at my committee, and I, and I kind of look and say, okay, I've got jurisdiction over everything. What's the most important? And by the way, Tom, am I supposed to take a little Q&A from people that I've, I've mentioned, like Phil English or something? And just, just, okay. In that case, the answer is I'm going to look for those things which are causing us not to have full employment and be the envy of the world. I will also look for failures of government, but it is not, and I repeat, and I know I'm being videoed, so it's particularly important to repeat this. It is not about past operations of my committee, whether it was Mr. Waxman or other people in my party. It's not about the occupant of the Oval Office. The occupant of the Oval Office is usually more a victim of a bureaucracy they did not anticipate and cannot change. And Congress, if they shoot to Pennsylvania Avenue, miss the hundreds of thousands of areas of reform that are needed. Yes, when I take on regulatory excesses, somebody may run to the White House and say, but this is my pet regulation, but this is important because this interest group wants it. We expect that. But for everybody here, the most important thing is the only thing that's bipartisan in Washington is a recognition that unemployment comes from a lack of private sector employers making independent decisions to add people because it's in their best interest to add people. Now we disagree about the impact of government, how many jobs you can create, how many public sector jobs would be good, and we cer certainly as, uh, as a Congress have a bad habit of thinking that efficiency that often lays off people is bad. Well keeping people on even if your productivity goes down is somehow good. 
That's one of the things that we'll fight about as we try to get American corporations to have less regulatory burden and, quite frankly, find their own investment efficiencies that initially may lay people off, but ultimately making these companies able to employ more people.